0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Many voices are more powerful than one. When we share ideas, developments, and power, we can achieve anything. Welcome to DJ and Da keeping you at the top of your game. Your hosts are Dieta Jones and Richard Dent. Together, they have made a worthy life that includes a family, two businesses, a foundation, and much more. They're ready to help you find your personal success. Now, here are Dieta and Richard.
2: Welcome to DJ and Dubair. I'm Dieta Jones, your host. I'm a social justice advocate, leadership and organizational effectiveness coach, speaker, and author. Usually, I'm joined by my better three-quarters, NFL legend and Pro Football Hall of Famer Richard Dent. Richard is not with us today on this show. He's traveling right now. Too bad, because this is a topic that he would have loved to, been, to be involved in. He has a lot of opinions about the sorts of things that we'll be talking about today. But I think we'll be able to hold down the fort, and maybe we'll be able to catch him in social media uh, getting involved and uh, sharing his perspective. I am really excited today to share this episode with uh, Kyla Norton. Kyla is going to be our special guest, and the topic that we're going to cover is uh, kind of pondering a question. Have we forged a culture that is hypersensitive? This topic is one that is really near and dear to my heart, and it has been for many, many years, and I can't take credit for coming up with the topic, even Um, When I heard about the topic as a possibility, I kind of hemmed and hawed about it. But it's an important issue to bring up. As many of you know, I've been doing social justice advocacy work for about 25 years, and over the course of those years, you know, the United States has gone through ups and downs as far as willingness to engage around the really difficult conversations. And so for me, I too have had experiences over the course of my year where I've I've experienced the ups and downs along with public sentiment, the backlash, the acceptance, the compassion, the anger, uh, the distancing, the marginalization of uh, anything that had to do with diversity. Uh, So to be able to have this conversation today, it is coming full circle in a way uh, I remember early in my career being called the diversity police because I was a diversity and a social justice advocate and educator and because I uh, really distanced it, distanced myself from uh, certain types of jokes, from certain types of activities. Now I'm not saying I'm perfect and I'm not saying that my voice is the right voice, but I definitely have had the experience of of really uh, being pushed back against because I had strong beliefs or because I was encouraging people to think about their beliefs and how they express those beliefs. As, as those of you who know me know, and those of you who have listened to the show know, I'm all about ally building. And hopefully we'll get into uh, what that means and, and the importance of ally building as we talk about hypersensitivity. And we allow today's discussion to take us through an exploration of the issues of the day, of the intellectual and kind of human opportunities for engagement at multiple levels and carry us to a place where we can end with some ideas about next steps on a personal level and also um, organizationally, institutionally, systematically, societally. And that's our aspiration for today. It's a lot of ground to cover, but that's what we're going to attempt to do. We're going to attempt to take you along a journey uh, where we begin with one person, one voice, uh, having a conversation with us and sharing a little bit about her perspective. So with that said, and with that bit of queuing up, I'd like to uh, share a little bit about Kyla. Kyla Norton is an actress with About Face Theater, a theater company that focuses on LGBTI issues and social justice, and a student at Columbia College in Chicago. She acts, writes scripts, and poetry, and has worked closely with several theater companies in Chicago and Cincinnati. Kyla, who's been acting for more than 10 years, is dedicated to creating and performing art that affects real social change. Welcome, Kyla.
3: Hi, welcome, or thank you. <laughs>
2: And good of you to be with us to be here with us today. It's so good for you to uh, be on the show. We're looking forward to having a conversation
3: with you. Yeah, thank you for having me.
2: So Kyla, your your bio is pretty impressive, but uh, it also it also leads me to think that you're still relatively young. So tell us a little bit about and I mean young as in relative to me. So tell me tell us a little bit and tell our listeners a little bit about how you came to be, as you're a college student now and you're still in college, how you came to be so interested in issues of social justice and, and what opportunities have really been developmentally important for you at this point, you know, up until this point in your life.
3: Sure. So, um, as you said, I'm an actor, a playwright, I write poetry, and I do performance art and whatnot. Um, I graduated from an art school in Cincinnati, Ohio, um, with an arts diploma in drama. Um, I was there for eight years, from fifth grade to twelfth grade. And then I graduated and moved to Chicago to attend Columbia College Chicago, where I am a junior now. Um, I major in acting, and I minor in playwriting. Um, since I've been in Chicago, I've worked with a number of theater ensembles, but specifically About Faith is the one that does a lot of social justice, there's a lot of social justice connection with that. Um, I got started doing social justice work, or kind of thinking about social justice work, um, around 2008, when Obama's first campaign rolled around. Um, I remember my first, I think it was like my first year of high school, actually, when this happened, Um, MSNBC was always on every night. Me and my dad would sit down and watch it every every night. Um, And I just became infatuated with it. I became infatuated with the politics and with how closely related politics is to our daily lives. Um, So throughout high school, I became more and more interested and more and more, um, I guess, um, entrenched in politics and in social justice. Um, I think the first time, uh, or maybe the second time my eyes were really open to the social justice issues in our country and in our world was when I went to this, uh, week long volunteer, um, volunteer week where we went around Cincinnati and kind of like one of the worst neighborhoods in Cincinnati. And we did a lot of community service. We you know we um we spent days with children at the YMCA or we went to the homeless shelter and they had us go through the entrance process for someone who who needed to go into the shelter and i think that was really eye-opening because you really you start to see you start to you you're humbled by yeah. a lot of these things um I, I remember that moment specifically because I was near tears because it right. felt like I it, it felt like I was about to enter this shelter and I think that's what their point was. Um, and I think that was like the first moment I my eyes were really open. I love what you're saying, Kyla. Mhm.
2: I love what you're saying about the about the immersion experience you know how powerful it is to connect mm-hmm. your head and your heart because intellectually you can you can watch the presidential campaign unfold mm-hmm. but to, to have an immersive experience where your gut and your heart are connected to what you intellectually are already starting to explore there's nothing like that there's there's no click like that that can ever you know that it, there's nothing more profound I think than that kind of click where everything comes together at that deep level
3: Mhm. Right. Yeah. So so that was really I think where it really started, and then into college, uh, I guess I hit the ground running. I started writing plays more about it. Um, started working closely with theater, kind of merging theater and art into social justice. Um, because I I don't know what the other, well there there are plenty of purposes of art, but I think art is definitely that that I think is a strong it's a strong tool for telling stories and telling stories of social justice so that the world can change. So I so yeah, I love it. That's love really it. where it started.
2: Well and the other thing is that you have so many access, right? You have so you have so many access points. People come to mm-hmm. theater, people are moved differently, maybe in their workplace environment they don't want to talk about this or that or in their neighborhood right. or in their home. But, you know, the people who are lovers of and appreciators of art are usually people who are um, exploring and willing to explore ideas and explore concepts and who, uh, you know, may be really moved by something that is put into the form of a story where they can find access and that resonates to them. So I, I love, right. love, love, love the idea of, of using uh, the arts to convey the messages that are facing us, and the, you know to help to kind of untangle and get people intimately involved in some of the naughty issues that we're wrestling with in our country. So, yeah. so Kyla, uh, you know, this week has been a huge week, and uh, this well, the last couple of weeks, I feel like I just have so much cognitive dissonance between my heart breaking for the nine families in Charleston to literally jumping to my feet with tears rolling down my face watching President Obama sing Amazing Grace off-key and awkwardly at uh, (laughs) Reverend Clementa Pinckney's uh, uh, funeral and, and giving his eulogy. I can't tell you a time that I felt more overwhelmed with the kind of joy and happiness and thankfulness um, as a person, as a person of color, as an American, as a person who's been, you know, waiting for somebody to, you know, in power to really say, I get it. There was nothing that has really moved me as symbolically as powerful as that. So what I'd like to do is to to continue this conversation with all this emotion that I have racing through me um, when we get back from a commercial break. So let's take uh, just a couple of minutes to go to a commercial break. Please visit my website, www.dietajones.com, to check out our latest blog post. Hit us up on Twitter, at Dieta M. Jones, at Richard underscore Dent 95. We want to hear from you, so post your thoughts. Call in. We'll be right back.
1: Richard Dent, a cornerstone of the Bears' overwhelming defense during their Super Bowl run and a 2011 inductee into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was an eighth-round draft pick out of tiny Tennessee State in 1983. The tall and skinny rookie wound up with a brilliant 15-year football career. Dent's fascinating story takes you behind the scenes of one of the fiercest, most dominant defenses in NFL history. Blood, sweat, and Bears hits hard, just like its Hall of Fame author. Buy it now on Amazon or download it to Kindle. Dieta Jones has been delivering expert guidance through her speaking, consulting, and writing on leadership, management, and cultural diversity for more than 20 years. Her engaging style and infectious laugh combines with mastery of personal effectiveness tools and cutting-edge research. She is diplomatic yet direct and concept-based, yet practical in her approach. If you are looking for a high-powered speaker for your next conference, consider Dietta Jones your ace in the hole. Call her at 312-870-9596 or visit her website at dietajones.com.
0: Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel, VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
1: You are listening to DJ and DeBear, keeping you at the top of your game. To reach the show today, please call in to one 346 9141 That number again is one 346 9141 You may also send an email to Jones at dietajones.com. Now, back to the show.
2: We're back. And the question we are pondering this week is, have we forged a culture that is hypersensitive Kyla, we um, have a lot going on lately, a lot, lot, lot going on lately. Everything from the amazing major, major, major SCOTUS decision last week as far as marriage equality being the law of the land. We have, um, as I mentioned, President Obama really, um, you know, taking a stand and being verbal and talking very directly and openly to some of the issues related to race relations that are happening here in this country. We have affordable healthcare that, you know, where there was, a, again, another major breakthrough decision just last week. And, and, and we also have the presence of, you know, a lot of opinions. We have presidential campaigns coming out of everywhere. They're coming out of the woodwork with strong opinions to the left and to the right and more extreme left and more extreme right. And we have social media where every single person has a voice. And we have the videos, the nonstop videos of you know, of, of, of black folks getting shot or beaten by police officers, knowing that that's not the only experience that we have, of course, with police officers, but really having much more visibility and access. Carla, tell us a little bit about you know what you what your take is on you know the way that we're addressing this. Are we hypersensitive? You know wh- what is what is what's going on right now? Can you sum it up or help us get our mind around it? As a person who falls more into the millennial category and could probably have a better sense of where some of this activism and energy, especially related to social media, is coming from.
3: Yeah, sure. So I I think that we are hypersensitive in a sense that we. We kind of let our emotions get the best of us when we're trying to have conversations about race or gender or, or um, sexism and um, things like that. Um, but I will be careful when I say hypersensitive because I think sometimes hypersensitivity can be used in a negative connotation to kind of to be a device against or to support racism and sexism. So I want to be careful when I'm using that word. But I think um, social justice now in terms of the left I think sometimes can be, there's like this militant policing of language and images that we come across in social media. Um, There's a lot of like calling out culture where somebody will say something on social media and somebody will try and call them out um, because their emotions have got the better of them, but rightfully so because all of these things that you just discussed and talked about are so emotionally charged because they... Because they affect us so much, and they and they hurt our, they hurt people in our community. So it makes sense. Um, but I think we're hypersensitive in the way that we are dealing with this. Um, but I think it's a fine line. So I think sometimes we misconstrue what people are trying to say sometimes um, because of these emotions. Um, when it comes to protecting people in your community, of course, this is this is going to be the reaction. Um, but the thing about building allies is I think what's important in these social issues and in our social justice work is building allies. I think it can be hard to build allies when you are being so, I guess, hypersensitive about things. I think we have to use our activism with tact and we have to nice. say, okay, if somebody has said something and it is, I guess, problematic, we can choose to say, calmly, you know, this is problematic, let's talk this out, not calling a person out and shutting down that dialogue that you could have had. I
2: love um, it. So I, I love what you just said.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Amen. So. I, I so, so heartily agree with you that, you know, that, you know I don't even know if hypersensitivity, and I agree with you, the word hypersensitivity is a good way to, to try to sum it up if what we're trying to do is kind of, you know, entice people to have a conversation with us, On the other hand, people are just sensitive and there's, and and it seems hypersensitive is what, if what I'm feeling isn't familiar to you, right? If you don't understand what it feels Mm -hmm. like to be oppressed or marginalized or hurt in the way that I do, then maybe it looks hypersensitive to you if Mm -hmm. I am reacting as strongly as I'm reacting. But that doesn't take away the truth of the experience mm-hmm. that I'm having right now, or the experiences that I've had in the past, right? So that point, exactly. that point is really well taken. The other, the other thing is that, the other thing is that um, you know, this is this is really about building allies, and building allies is about creating access points. So. Shutting people down is the absolute worst thing that we could do, and judging and criticizing people because they're not where I am on my path, Mm -hmm. whatever that path is, is not appropriate or fair, knowing that all of us have our journey, right, and that all of us will be along different points of that journey at different times. And also, there's a bit of humility that's necessary. Just because I have a strong opinion doesn't necessarily mean that I'm more enlightened or closer Mm -hmm. to enlightened on my journey. It just means that I feel strongly about my, you know, feel strongly about my reality or about my experience of reality.
3: Right. Well, I also do want to say that there is a certain humility, but I also want to say that it isn't necessarily your job. I think in being an ally, that is part of the work of being an ally, too. So, like, this is a two-way street. Like, if you want to be an ally, I think you do have to go out and kind of try and at least educate yourself. um, I don't think it's necessarily your job um, to educate everyone about every little tiny micro microaggression that you experience every day because I think that can be exhausting. So I think there is this fine line of shutting down conversations versus um, kind of letting them flourish, but yeah. also letting some of the work fall on the ally too. and so so yeah,. I,
2: I love it. So, yeah. Kyla, I, I agree with you. So, and this is you know, since since there's a bit of an age difference between the two of you, I can I can say that the earlier in my life, I I worked kind of tirelessly to educate mm-hmm. people, as it because I felt like I had an opportunity and a responsibility. I I felt like th- I'm so passionate about this. I want to I want to see myself in the service of this greater good that I call social justice. And it took me until about my mid-20s to just burn out. I, I became exhausted. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I felt like, uh, like Sisyphus, right? Because social justice mm-hmm. issues mm-hmm. don't necessarily go away. <laughs> and, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's, al- there's always something else in front of us. And so this idea of kind of pacing oneself is really important to know what I stand for, to allow others to know what I stand for, to bring a sense of humility, but also to bring a sense of uh, you know, peace to my own heart, in my, inside of my own heart, that I'm not going to fix all of the ills in the world, and, uh, you know, and, and to not take on fixing all the ills in the world. Kylie, you used a word that I want to uh, ask you to share with us a little bit of description about, because it may not be familiar all to, our, to all of our listeners. You used the word microaggressions. Can you just describe that a little bit, would you?
3: Sure, so microaggression is like little things that happen to you that may that may be connected to uh, racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia um they're little micro as as the word suggests a microaggression that people who are outside of that community may or may not see on a daily basis so microaggression. If you're a black person and you're walking on the sidewalk and an older white man is coming towards you and they don't move for you because you are black, that's a microaggression. But another white person may or may not notice that, kind of like uh, like you're pulling the race card almost, kind of. Yeah, yeah. I think okay. sometimes microaggressions can be. So I think that's kind of what a microaggression is, is like these little things that aren't blatant and in your face, but they exist. They still that racism, homophobia, sexism, whatever, whatever, still exists.
2: <laughs> right, right, yeah, so. exactly. They're the little, they're the the little the and I don't. I wouldn't say little as in insignificant, but they're not burning crosses on your front yard. Right. But but they're right. like, on a day to day basis, right? They start to nip away at the kind of the soul mm-hmm. and the identity of the person and the group that's experiencing them over time. Absolutely.
3: Exactly.
2: So right. so we've. So, Kyla, you've talked, of, you've talked about building allies. Why, why is it so important to build allies? You know this is a, a, something I feel very strongly about, but why to you is it so important that we build allies?
3: Well, I think it's important for us to build allies because it's important for people outside of your community to have, I, I guess, to have your back, to support you, because sometimes when it's just you and your community, um, I think sometimes it can be hard for people to listen. Sometimes it's sometimes people may not listen until it's someone in their community telling them about this oppression or this thing that's happening in another community, um, unfortunately. Um, so I think it's really, really, really important to have allies so that you have everyone in your court, I guess, essentially. Um yep. working for you and working towards your progression as a community instead of just kind of staying in their lane and and, you know, living living their quiet, nice little life, um right. and not and kind of ignoring the things that are happening to you. Yeah. Um, I guess. So yeah, having having allies is very important.
2: It I reminds me of that It reminds me of that beautiful poem that I always read. I can't actually remember the author. I'm so embarrassed right now. But it's whenever I go to the Jewish, uh, the Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, D.C., that beautiful poem that I see over and over. And it was, you know, when they came for the Jews, I said nothing. And then when they came Mm -hmm. for the gays, I said nothing. And then when they came because I wasn't Mm -hmm. gay. And I wasn't a Jew. And then they came for the Jehovah's Witnesses. I said nothing because I wasn't a Jehovah's Witness, right? And then they'd list and list and list. Right. And then they came for me. And there was no one left. Mm. And, yeah. and, and that's the power of being an ally. And being an ally isn't, in my, in my purview, and I think you, you described it beautifully, isn't just about having people in my court. It's about our court, right? Because mm-hmm. we support each other. I may, be, I may be black, but I'm straight, right? So I have a place where I need allies to have my back, but I also have privilege as a straight woman in the United States of America, where I have an opportunity to be an ally for another community. Not that I'm going to speak on behalf of the LGBTQI community, but I can have their back in some places and have some voice with some audiences that they might not have. And and that's what it means to be an ally, where it's not just about you know being the beneficiary of a group's being an ally to me, but or a person being an ally to me, but I also have opportunities for using areas where I have privilege to be an ally to others. And that's and that's right. the, that's their work, right? That's that's the work. That's the journey that we're all on together. Kyla, let me let me get us to another uh, quick little transition. So we're going to switch gears for a few minutes. And while we're at commercial break, please visit our website, www.dietajones.com to check out our latest blog post, uh, share your comments, hit us up on Twitter at Dieta M. Jones at Richard underscore Dent 95. We want to hear from you. We'll be right back.
1: Richard Dent, a cornerstone of the Bears' overwhelming defense during their Super Bowl run, and a 2011 inductee into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was an eighth-round draft pick out of tiny Tennessee State in 1983. The tall and skinny rookie wound up with a brilliant 15-year football career. Dent's fascinating story takes you behind the scenes of one of the fiercest, most dominant defenses in NFL history. Blood, sweat, and Bears hits hard, just like its Hall of Fame author. Buy it now on Amazon or or download it to kindle Dieta jones has been delivering expert guidance through her speaking consulting and writing on leadership management and cultural diversity for more than 20 years her engaging style and infectious laugh combines with mastery of personal effectiveness tools and cutting-edge research she is diplomatic yet direct and concept-based yet practical in her approach if you are looking for a high-powered speaker for your next conference, consider Dietta Jones your ace in the hole. Call her at 312-870-9596 or visit her website at dietajones.com.
0: success starts here voiceamericaempowerment.com it's your world
1: you are listening to dj and debare keeping you at the top of your game to reach the show today please call in to 1-888-346-9141 that number again is 1-888-346-9141 you may also send an email to djones at diettajones.com. Now, back to the show.
2: We're back and continuing our conversation on hypersensitivity, building allies by not shutting down conversation. Kyla, when we were preparing for this show, we came up with a couple of areas where we could, you know, throw out some examples of where some of this hypersite sensitivity um, shows itself pretty regularly. And two of those examples are social media, obviously, and the other one is in university setting, which is a place where you spend a lot of time. So let's start off with the social media. Give us, share with us a couple of examples of how hypersensitivity shows itself in social media and, and, and what we might be able to do to you know, be aware of our own participation in this.
3: Sure. So I don't know if... Um... Your listeners may remember. Um, so, for instance, I think it, it was during Grammys when this Disney star named Zendaya, she was wearing these faux dreadlocks. Um, and there was a show called The Fashion Police where a comment was made about her faux dreadlocks saying that she must smell like patchouli oil or weed. Oh, um, yeah, so Julia Horanistic. Yeah yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So after that, social media blew up. Now, it's debatable, like what the comment meant, um, but but I think it was it was a good example of hypersensitivity because this was a comedian, and we have to look at comedians and what a lot of comedians make jokes about. Um, I I agree that the comment was racist, but I will say that since they, it, since she was a comedian, it's worth asking, like what what do you say about all the other comedians whose careers ride on racism, sexism, misogynistic, and misogynistic jokes? Um, so I think that's one example of social media where, where um, something happens in the media and then social media just blows up. Right, um, right. So I think, I think this happens because, like, as the right wing the Christian conservatives become more and more radical, pushing themselves more and more to the right of the playing field. Liberal activists and advocates have countered with their adversaries, and they have they have their own radical ideas now that push further and further, and further to the left as like a, a defense mechanism that creates these knee jerk reactions on social media by small comments made by people yeah. that may or may not be problematic.
2: Yep. It's pretty interesting. Oh. We have. We've gotten pretty petty. I mean, I'm not saying that it's free reign and that, you know, there aren't comments that are inappropriate. But the fact that it was a, a, a comedian who made the comments and in the, you know, the, and there were so many other kind of off-color kinds of comments that have been made on that show in particular really did make me wonder. It's kind of scratched my head about why there was so, I mean, that kind of backlash happening at that point. So why? Why is this happening like this? I mean, you just described the extreme polarization that's happening around political affiliation. But what else? Like this I feel like social media people are just going for broke in social media.
3: Yeah, well, I think because people on social media because you feel like you have you do have more of a voice and some especially with the hashtags. But I think people on social media feel like they really have a voice and they they can voice these things. But I think because of the kind of sensi- the sensitivity that we are taught in terms of creating safe spaces for people um, allows us to say and call out these tiny little things whenever they happen, even if we don't completely know what is happening or what was exactly said. I know there was another example where Bleach put out a tweet about their emojis, about Apple's new emojis, um, and people took it as like whitewashing, and that's not at all what Bleach, the company, was going for. But because of social media, because of the out the the outpour of anger about this tweet that Bleach put out there, um, they had to delete it and apologize for it. Um, so, so yeah, I think this extreme polar- polarization is because. Well, because of the extreme polarization, we have tried to create safe spaces for ourselves to have these conversations. But I think sometimes we pull so far into ourselves and into our communities that we shut everyone else out by calling them out. So I, I, feel, I, feel like,
2: I feel like we're losing a real fundamental human uh, responsibility to communicate, right? And social media is in in all of its uh, in all of its glory like there are really good things that happen with social media i think about how the presidential you know election conversations leading to elections all of those things have been changed we I mean, I, we've had we've seen governments toppled because of social media we and dictators right. toppled because of social media so we i do believe that there is something really powerful about the use of social media but i also believe that People are using it in mass as a substitute for conversation where I have to look you in the mm-hmm. eye as a human and read your intentions. And, and the thing is about, you know, the thing is about humans, we, you know, most of communication is nonverbal and we lose all of that with social media. You don't have any sense of who I am about what my intentions are, you don't have the context, you don't have any other data points of me, you don't know what my life or my persona or my character is like. All you know is how accurately I was able to nail a hashtag or you know right. 140 characters and, and who can sum up you know anything eloquently in that many words and really capture these big issues in that many words and I think it's it's making people think that it's optional, that talking to people and having real dialogue that is sometimes very difficult is optional. And we're, we're losing mm-hmm. the ability to do that. And, that's, and I think we're becoming even more and more uh, separated uh, because we're not comfortable when we do get together across differences, opening up potentially difficult conversations, but conversations that we need to have, conversations that are going to allow us to keep evolving, to continue to to move forward as as a country and as a as a you know as as a shared uh, experience.
3: Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely agree that sort of polarization, not only politically, but that you see it, yeah, even in social media. Um,
2: and university yeah, spaces agree. are another one, right? That you told me that right, I remember right, when you we were right. talking about this
3: Yes. So university spaces as well. um, I think in university spaces, there have been, so like specifically there are articles, there are a couple articles on professors who are, I guess, scared of their students. They're kind of walking on eggshells because they don't want to say the wrong thing. Um, There are professors that are blaming hypersensitivity, as we're pulling out the word again, for altering the way that they interact with their students. And the curriculum that they're teaching, um, so it's interesting to me in that these there's like this professor who is blaming their hypersensitivity on their student or like blaming hypersensitivity for the interaction with his students. but then on the other on the other hand, there are professors saying like no, that's not that's not completely the case. So there's this kind of argument within university spaces of, are our students too, too, I guess, fragile in a way? Have have they been raised to be too fragile? <laughs> I don't know that that's necessarily the case, um, but I think that's a lot of what's filtering into this argument of this hypersensitivity within kids on a university, in university spaces. Um I would argue that we're not any more protected or any more sheltered than other generations necessarily, but I would also argue that it's because of our des- desire to have these safe spaces and our desire to acknowledge things that that are kind of sensitive topics within within our community in terms of, like, mental illness and try and treat these things instead of suppress them. Um yeah, so I think that's a lot of the, that example of university spaces and how we're interacting with one another and how it's changed. Yeah. Um well, for the professor, I think specifically, and the professor thinking that the students have have moved toward this kind of power of kind of power of being hypersensitive so that they can complain to other people. Right. Um, I don't know, it's really interesting.
2: It's kind of the, the PC thing, you know, where we, where, mm-hmm. you know, that the, 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 uh, professors feel like they can't say anything that's not politically correct. The tricky part, the tricky part is that if you can't have knock down, drag out, heated, you know, difficult conversations that really stretch your brain and your imagination and push you outside of your comfort zone in college. Where can you? That's exactly the point of going to college, right, is to immerse yourself Mm -hmm. in a variety of expanding experiences, relationships and concepts and, you know, pushing yourself to find the outer limits of your kind of intellectual and social capacity. And that's the place to do it. And you have to have professors who have the gumption to be there with us and the infrastructure, like a really wonderful student affairs program that can allow for the robust exchange to happen inside the classroom and outside the classroom. But I feel like if you can't do this in a school setting, where can you do it? It does mean that we have to have educators. That means professors and other people on campuses who are, ready to step up to the table and I actually think that this is work that we should be doing far before people get to college so you know my Mm -hmm. first foray into these issues was in college but now I'm actually working with my son's uh, elementary school to bring social justice conversations to the teachers and hopefully the parents and the children in that realm because These are, this is the reality of the world we live in, where we need to be able to have dialogue across differences. There are a lot of differences that are beautiful and that are, you know, the fabric of the United States, the fabric of the diverse country that, you know, we've always really treasured. How is it that we come together and find an ability to have discussion and dialogue across those differences? Kyla, let me switch gears one last time. Go to commercial break. Visit our website, www.dietajones.com. Please post your thoughts. We'll be right back.
1: Richard Dent, a cornerstone of the Bears' overwhelming defense during their Super Bowl run and a 2011 inductee into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was an eighth round draft pick out of tiny Tennessee State in 1983. The tall and skinny rookie wound up with a brilliant 15 year football career. Dent's fascinating story takes you behind the scenes of one of the fiercest, most dominant defenses in NFL history. Blood, sweat, and bears hits hard, just like its Hall of Fame author. Buy it now on Amazon or download it to Kindle. Dieta Jones has been delivering expert guidance through her speaking, consulting, and writing on leadership, management, and cultural diversity for more than 20 years. Her engaging style and infectious laugh combines with mastery of personal effectiveness tools and cutting-edge research. She is diplomatic, yet direct, and concept-based, yet practical in her approach. If you are looking for a high-powered speaker for your next conference, consider Dietta Jones your ace in the hole. Call her at 312-870-9596 or visit her website at dietajones.com. Live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Get motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to DJ and DeBear, keeping you at the top of your game. To reach the show today, please call in to one 346 9141 That number again is one 346 9141 You may also send an email to djones at deettajones.com. Now, back to the show.
2: We're back and continuing our conversation on hypersensitivity, building allies by not shutting down conversation. So, Kyla, we've talked a lot about, you know, hypersensitivity and social media and safe spaces in the university and uh, building allies and all of that, you know, all the stuff that's happening in the, in the world right now and in our world right now in the United States. Let's talk about next steps. What, what do we talk about going forward? So you know, we've talked about building allies and, and we know that's part of the equation. But what's really in front of us? How do we move on from the victories and the uh, and the experiences of the last few weeks?
3: Well, I would say we. There's a lot of ground to cover, um, so we have to keep moving forward with, with like the Black Lives Matter movement. But we also, although we've come over a lot of, we've gotten over a lot of obstacles in the last few weeks. Um, there's so much more to overcome, specifically in the LGBTQIA or the queer community. After this gay marriage, the SCOTUS decision, I would say that this is the smallest of the issues for the for the listeners wondering what's after gay marriage. This is, I think, the smallest of the issues. There are trans people being killed every day. In fact, every week, even. Even last week, when gay marriage was be- was being celebrated, uh, the fact that gay marriage and um, that gay marriage and visibility only help people who have safe spaces to go to. The rate of LGBTQIA or queer kids who are living on the street because they got kicked out. This number is alarming. They often live in dangerous areas that that are violent, and then it just kind of continues the cycle of violence because they are in the queer community. So these intersections of race, gender, and sexuality is something that we have to think about. Pride right now is mainly helping cisgender white gay men and women, which is why there's so much work to be done specifically after gay marriage, specifically after that. Um, But even in Black Lives Matter and in the black community, we have to put all these together, um, so the history of the queer community is being kind of replayed right now, where trans and gender nonconforming people are the ones who have fought, fought tirelessly and shed blood, just like in the Stonewall riots. That was that's what that was, um, to help everyone in the community, only to be left in the dust by the same people who they helped. Yeah. Um, so I think that's why there. That's the issue that we have to tackle now is. Bringing the community together and actually acting like a community. Um, That's what we're looking at in the future is how can we rise as one community and fight just as hard for trans issues as they did for gay marriage. This is something I'm not sure will happen, but that's what needs to happen in the future. Um, We need to build allies that that will do this as well. But until the whole queer community can back its own people up, there's little hope for allies doing that. Um, well, it's tricky. I mean, in the black community.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's a, that's tricky. I mean, I hear what you're saying. This is a whole nother show topic, but you know, yeah. it's saying okay, everybody across all these different you know classifications—I'm I'm using air quotes here—within just the queer community, let's all let's all you come together and talk about what our shared issues and ideas and vision is, and and then from there we can figure out how to build allies. That, that exact same conversation exists across in every disenfranchised community right so women have right. the same issue and, the, and and black folks have the same issue and you know then on and on and on the disabilities community it it's it's really really tough and I think the reason why it's so, so tough is because of this issue of internalized oppression and again I know this is a whole nother mm-hmm. show topic but it's really tough when people have already and always been disenfranchised to try to get them to look out for someone else when they feel like they're just still trying to get their own voice heard, um, and and also understand that they're working in you know inside of a power structure that doesn't always, um, mm-hmm. you know that that has been that has been kind of ruthless in a lot of ways and where there's a lot of feel right. fear associated right. with taking risk and speaking up, let alone speaking out and reaching across. It's just not the way that power works. I hear you though, and I appreciate you saying it, and I appreciate that you're tying back together the importance of looking across issues and thinking of social justice as something that is about a multitude of different areas. We can't just talk about you know, the queer community or the black community or the disabilities community, et cetera, et cetera. We have to look across areas of injustice and find out way find ways to bring you know anti bias to all those areas where injustice still permeates our systems and and marginalizes, disenfranchises, kills, murders you know permits people to commit suicide, drives people to commit suicide. Right.
3: Um, it's it, um, What you said about um, the. Oh, right, right, right. What you said about people working under the system, I think that's the other question that we have to ask is how do we affect real change within the system that we are operating? It's hard to say because some of these issues honestly will only be solved until that is dissolved. So it's a question of how do we operate within this in this system that we are already operating in, how do we affect real change when it's right. built upon that? Right, <laughs> so, right. So yeah, that's a whole nother thing. It's, it's <laughs> the problem conversation. of the
2: Yeah, but you know, it's the problem of the embedded infrastructure, right? We have so many layers and layers of 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 system. That are so many pieces to these big complicated systems that we navigate day in and day out. And some of them are really explicit to us and some of them are really less explicit and they're much more just the kind of social practices that we've adopted over time. And so figuring out ways to uh, stand back, uh, look, observe try to strip away judgment, try to bring empathy or empathetic perspective or eyes to the interactions that we see, to the voices that we hear, to the comments that people make or the stories that people share with us about their experience. And then constantly educating ourselves. Um, You know, all of us, regardless of what side of the continuum you're on, if you are a liberal or a conservative or gay or straight or black or white or have, you know, disabilities community or, or you know or, or 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 whatever whatever your stance is whatever your perspective is whatever your life experience is we are all being educated hopefully and we all see ourselves as deeply committed to to learning and to growing and to listening and to becoming right that's right
3: right and it's and a, until it's we a journey. An open dialogue and yeah
2: I think I have to tell you, Kyla, one of the things that I, I'm going to be involved in that I'm really excited about, and it's something that I was involved in, I think about 25 years ago, maybe maybe closer to 22, is something called the Multicultural Community Retreat that's happening in Fort Collins, Colorado in September. Mm. I used to live in Fort Collins, and the city is sponsoring a Multicultural Community Retreat, which we did back then as well where we bring together citizens from the community to have conversations about the exactly the same things that we're talking about right here. All sorts of citizens, regular old citizens coming together, regardless of their um, ethnic or racial background, their position in the city, their their job, a title, everybody just coming together, about 100, maybe 150 of us spending a couple of days in a retreat setting, just practicing having dialogue and listening to each other in, with compassion, Without judgment, without blaming, without shaming, in an opportunity to really practice learning with and from each other. And then also articulating who do we want to become, right? Who do we want to Mm -hmm. become? And I'm going to put that out there and I'm going to wish it into the universe that more and more places really pick up on this idea of getting together within our communities And having a voice and practicing dialogue and practicing envisioning who we want to be together. We do not have to be reactive. We can actually say what we want and then we can make it happen. And I I wish that for all of us and for you listeners. I hope that you take that to heart and you start having conversations, even if it's just under your own roof in your own home. Kyla, thank you. This has been awesome. I get so worked up. I probably took more of this floor than I should have, but thank you so much. It's just been an honor and a privilege. And um, for all our listeners, until next week, keep finding ways to make a dent in pursuit of your dreams, to serve your community, to make our world better.
1: Thanks again for tuning in. Please join Dieta Jones and Richard Dent for another edition of DJ and Bear. We'll be back next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a terrific week.
0: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.